Welcome to the HC Insider podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today, we're joined by Colin Bryce to talk again on trading and traders in the energy and commodities markets. Colin is the founding partner of Energex, a natural resources and energy consultancy, and former co-global head of Morgan Stanley's commodities business, as well as chair of Morgan Stanley Bank International. Colin, thanks for joining us again. Yes, um, thanks, Paul. Um, Nice to talk to you again. So last time we talked about what actually is a a trading business and what are some of the things that leaders and and organizations need to consider when building them and and some of the, the pitfalls and the opportunities. I guess I wanted to move on to the individuals themselves. You've hired and trained a lot of traders, I guess over your period as well, gotten rid of some as well. What do you think makes a good trader? Well, um, I think we talked in the last session, didn't we, about the fact that there were, in my view, at least very few. <laughs> there are very good. I mean, I think there are a lot of um, very capable people, but uh, the exceptional people are few and, few and far between. Um, I guess if you set aside, you know, the competitive advantage of the platform that the individual's working on um, and the kind of support systems he would uh, he or she would have from, from, from the corporation, then what you come down to, I think, is a series of behavioral characteristics, at least in my experience, you know, that becomes the, the, the critical element. So, you know, coolness under pressure is particularly important especially these days in fast markets, you know, you want people who just don't get, uh, um, you know, terribly fraught and panicked and who can deal with a number of different balls in the air at the one time with, a, you know, a, a clear, cool uh, head. Um, actually, that's quite easy to see when you're managing traders uh, in times of difficulty. The, the folks who really are calm and collected under pressure uh, come to the fore and are very visible, in fact. So that's important. I think folks have to be arithmetically agile. Wasn't necessarily my uh, strong suit when I was a trader, but there we go. Folks have to be good mental arithmeticians. They don't have to be, you know, majors in calculus or any of that kind of stuff, uh, really. But um, need to understand numbers. Um, you know, maybe uh, bookmakers uh, are the right sort of folks to uh, to uh, start to recruit and turn turn into in, into trainers. They have the need for the same um, kind of skills. Particularly important to me, I think, is that you need people who are what I would call non-egotistical. So folks who you understand that uh, the market's bigger than them and, you know, they're not always right, even when they've taken good decisions that go wrong, as opposed to actually bad decisions that go wrong. So, you know, I've seen a lot of cases where, where you have the, you know, um, very highly qualified, never having failed alpha type individuals who just think, you know, the market's wrong. They just get stuffed and they learn some pretty uh, horrendous lessons uh, in, in the process. So people who really have that humility, I think, is, um, is particularly important. At the same time, you know, you have to have people who have the desire and the drive um, to succeed um, and the desire to make money. You know, they have to be hungry. So uh, that's important. The folks out of a very strong moral compass, you know, it's very easy to be led astray in uh, the international um, um, energy business in, in many different ways. And uh, I once put it in terms uh, of, uh, I remember uh, referring to a well-known um, mega failure at, at Houston-based um, 
where I, uh, I I felt that what management were having to to do there was to corral the amoral, and you know you don't want to have to be having to corral the amoral. It's uh, it, um, it's just a you know a terribly um, bad use of time. So you want people who have a strong moral moral compass uh, there. So you know these behavioural characteristics are I think can be overlooked you know, often, but they're terribly important um, in my view. It's funny how some of those, well, two of those in particular can change over time. Firstly, and perhaps obviously, is kind of the, the hunger piece. Secondly, I think, is that someone might have started their career being quite dispassionate about positions, but often with getting it right over quite a period of time, can become quite zealous in their own beliefs and perhaps unwilling to walk away from them when the market shows otherwise. And you see some quite public statements on the direction of oil and which usually is associated with some quite public losses later on. Do you see that temporal change in, in what makes a good trader? Yeah, you sometimes uh, see that. Um, you know, folk get overconfident, uh, I would say, you know, when they start to uh, believe in themselves to the exclusion of uh, anyone else and anyone else's, uh, else's opinion. And, you know, while failure, I think, is an important uh, um, way of learning lessons and, and a very important way of gaining the experience to be then able to exercise good judgment having experienced that failure um you don't want folks to fail in a in a big and you know career uh, defining way and you know you do see it uh, from time to time it's easy to get carried away of course it's it's one of these additional probabilities uh, that uh, as part of human nature that you need to try to uh, expunge <laughs> what about that hunger piece am i being unfair there, or is that a does that change over time in your in your experience? Well, it does. In, in fact, going back to the kind of um, uh, racehorse um, analogy uh, that we used, uh, I think uh, last time we uh, we spoke. You know, racehorses have their moments. Maybe as a two year old or a three year old, you know, for three or four races they excel, and then they've had their day in the sun. And to some extent, that can be a, a you know an issue that. Uh, that you get with uh, with traders, so you get maybe a trader who's had three or four or five, um, you know, very good years and has been rewarded very well, and then has a family and a house and you know uh, some nice cars and stuff, and they start to become risk averse because you know they don't want to lose it all. They've got you know what they set out for. Um, the hunger's been satiated, and um, you know they lose their touch. They have had their day in the sun and. You know that that can be that can be an issue. People become become risk averse, and, and I guess we'll come on to that. That has implications for careers because, unlike joining as an engineer into a oil major, there's less opportunity for a career development. Trading and traders are typically flat organisations, and not all great traders make great leaders and managers. And as you say, the ones who've been successful might become potentially become risk averse. I guess on the flip side, you've got prospect theory where um, people become risk-seeking if they've had losses, which can create a lot of issues as well. You mentioned in the last episode, and I, I agree with you as well, and I, having spent a, a long time in these markets from a talent perspective, you know, there are very few individuals who are consistently excellent in any type of trading environment, whether they've got no information, blank sheet of paper each day, they're just those brilliant traders, and we can all mention uh, some names. But the vast majority of traders... I guess follow a bell curve of performance, but it, and often it can be external factors, the type of organization they're in, the type of people they're around that leads to success. What are the external factors that makes a good trader that as a trading leader, you need to set up to get the best out of people? 
Yeah, so you know you need um, good, uh, experienced, and very supportive uh, management uh, in place and colleagues. You know, so that you have the right uh, degree of uh, of support and the right sort of culture uh, around about you. I guess you know, in a in a in a business which is you know operating really beyond the bounds of human rationality, you also need very credible systems for monitoring risk um, and uh, you know systems for uh, monitoring limits and. For monitoring performance um, and for um, you know enabling you to have the uh, the data and the uh, the um, facts and figures that you need to uh, to be able to have that platform to then exercise your uh, particular kind of behavioural advantages. Um, we talked about reward structure. Um, clearly, you need to have a system in place that um, rewards people for good behaviour and rewards them in the long term, doesn't reward flash-in-the-pan behaviour and encourage that. Um, you need to have, uh, uh, I think, a meritocracy uh, in place, which again is uh, something which encourages people to, you know, uh, strive to perform well um, uh, in a business. Um, and, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about management, I think something quite important um, is that you need to have effective but non-intrusive management. You know, I always felt you needed to give people the absolute maximum amount of control over their own time and activities that you possibly could, clearly within some very well-defined boundaries of, you know, risk and um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the more people believe they're in control of their own destiny and their own time, I think the better they, they perform, uh, in fact. Um, I think when they're being ordered around and folk are looking at over their shoulder at them all day long, um, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? That's a very discouraging uh, um, culture and uh, doesn't really uh, best uh, get the best out of folks. And then I guess lastly, I think trading managers and you know, leaders, if you like, need to be very credible. Uh, and part of uh, credibility is having been there and done that. Of course, there are other aspects of credibility uh, as well, you know, honesty and integrity and decency and all, all these uh, important things. But having been there, having done that, I think, um, you know, helps uh, um, the folks on the desk who are, you know, busy trading all day long, um, respect the decisions that are coming at them uh, from their managers and leaders. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some organizations have kind of developed structures where they've got a a book leader who is that right they they the individual's been there done that they've they've got a a track record and credibility in directing trades or at least questioning them but they've also set up other management systems to provide oversight over all of the 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 risk piece the compliance piece and actually i think as well in some ways help translate that trading business into the organization's broader culture so there's been a number of ways people have structured that Yes, I think um, th 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 there's a difficult time comes for uh, a senior trader when, you know, he uh, perhaps or she is a book leader, but not a trading manager, because they can't be both, you know, particularly in this day of regulation where you have to have independence of oversight. You can't be both a trading manager and a book leader. And, and that becomes a very difficult point because, you know, a lot of folks think, well, I'm now the leader of the senior to my next thing is to be a manager but actually you 
the person might not be suited <laughs> to being a manager. So, you know, what 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 do they do? It's a, it's it's a it's a kind of difficult one, actually. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, the career path of a trader is is very different to a typical career. I guess let's talk about that for a moment, and then be good to overlay it over the market conditions and how that has affected people's careers. But what what do you see as the the career path that's typically open to a to a trader? Well, I think there are some folks would tell you that um, the words career and trader would be an oxymoron, really. That uh, <laughs> you know, it, um, it's, it, it's 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 not a role that necessarily one can think of in terms of of, of a career. I would I think that I think that's not not correct. That's one of the misunderstandings uh, out there. But um, you know, um, it's not as easy a um, process to plan a career for a trader as it might be for a um, general management trainee. Although, um, I think I would point out that, again, taking the BP example, they've done a very good job of that uh, over the years, taking their traders and developing them through other competencies in their wider business all the way through to a board level where they've benefited from having trading expertise on that uh, at that uh, highest level. So, you know, it, um, it 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 can be done, but most um, most companies don't, I think, pay enough attention to how they're going to uh, run people or help people, you know, manage their uh, manage their careers most effectively. And of course, many traders themselves don't quite understand what their career um, path should be. It's you know um, back to the old Robert Burns uh, statement. You know we. Uh, uh, if only we could see ourselves as others see us, um, you know, often you uh, you think, well, this is what I should be. This is what I'd like to be. This is where I get the highest pay, so I'm going to be that. But actually, <laughs> you know, if you took a good look at yourself in the mirror, you're not really suited to that old chap. You know, it's, <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't work. And, and, and so, you know, from both the, um, the employer side and the employee side, um, getting... Uh, the right career path um, going for for the for the, the individual with very specific trading skills um, is, I think, quite um, quite difficult. And you certainly don't want to, you know, put um, people in places where they're behaviourally or intellectually ill-equipped to uh, succeed. It's fascinating, though, isn't it? Because actually, going back to what makes a good trader, someone who is commercial, mentally agile, all these things, you know, and also with a high degree of, of a moral compass and, and all the behavioral skill sets you need to be able to influence other people to do what you need them to do, et cetera. Those individuals who have been developed by their organization, you mentioned BP, the you know, Goldman's and so forth, have, have turned, some of them have turned out to be fantastic leaders. And I think about people, you know, I know, we know as a company who have started off as traders and broke out of it into more true management type roles and have become exceptional leaders because they think got that market lens. They're much more attuned to customer needs. On the flip side, I see examples when people, I think where there can become a bit of a challenge is you see people who think they are a manager and leader, but in reality, they're just managing a, a small team in very defined trading structures and not actually you know, exposed to the broader challenges and operating models of a business. Because again, trading is quite unique. Um, these people might not have any lens on you know, how to manage a cash flow or all these other things that come with running a business. 
But there is a, there's a real talent pool there that if organizations could think about and should think about how they can actually develop these people to become broader leaders within their organization. Yes. And, I, you know, I don't mean to be um, too pessimistic in, uh, in, in, in making the comments I made because there are a lot of people, as you say, um, very visibly who have uh, risen through organizations. We talked about BP and you've got people like John Manzoni, who's now on, you know, one of the senior civil servants in the country, Ian Conn, who was the CEO of Centrica, you know, folks who have been trained and developed from their trading roots into being, um, you know, effective managers and leaders and um you know, there are lots of um, other examples. The late Ian Taylor would be a great example of, uh, you know, a doyen of the, of the business who uh, um, started out as a trader and became the leader and manager of one of the biggest and best um, commodity trading companies. Uh, uh, and yourself, Colin. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, I, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you, yeah, you should probably cut that bit, actually, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll keep it in. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it has been a really rocky road, though. Um, you know, I, if you look at the, uh, you know, mentioned in the last episode, the, the sort of black swan events that have come and disrupted people's careers. I mean, um, you, you had, um, I just think of a couple of examples. You had a lot of traders in the late, um, zeros, however you describe it, who, you know, when the banks came in or hedge funds came in that took traders out of, um, organizations like oil majors where they were learning the markets as well. Um, or utilities where they were learning the physical markets, lured them over with quite lucrative um, guarantees and so forth. And then very quickly, those organizations exited the space. Um, there were some very public blowups that happened with the hedge funds. And you had people whose careers kind of got really disrupted just by the vicissitudes in the market. And I think one of the fascinating things now is if you look back, that trader that stayed at the oil major that didn't get lured away to a bank or a hedge fund in the end, it's probably done on a, an annualized basis much better than the ones who move to a perhaps a, a riskier role. Because I guess there is the career choices a trader has to make is how are they going to position themselves from a risk reward standpoint themselves? Are you going to go to a hedge fund or a trading house where the rewards are greater? You might get a percentage of your P&L, et cetera. But again, the expectations are much higher or the willingness to cut people or based on performances is much greater. Yes, well, you know, horses for courses. I mean, some people are looking to uh, to um, take these risks and be part of that, um, you know, high reward, high risk part of the uh, part of the business, and others would prefer to be a little more stable and secure. And you know, that's down to individual preference and the uh, type of company that uh, these folks would uh, would uh, gravitate to, but. You know, it's not a new thing to see uh, fallout in, in our business. I can think back to when I started trading and, you know, the number of folks, and I, maybe there were, you know, three or four or 500 people that I maybe knew as a, as a young trader. Um, and, you know, counting fingers of one hand, the number of people that um, in, ended their career in the business, really. Um, you know, there's always been fallout. It's a high-risk business by its very nature. Uh, it's a performance-orientated business. You know, we've looked at how um, very difficult it is as a business, as well as how very difficult it is for individuals to manage all the conditional probabilities associated with uh, success. So, um, you know, some some folks will look at that and they'll say, well, you know, actually, I want to be a little bit more secure. So I'm going to take the uh, the, um, the, the 
the more stable path. And other folks will throw caution to the wind and as part of their nature, they'll say, no, nope, ah, I'm going to go for it. Mm. And I think it comes back to that. We were doing a lot of quotations today, but you know, know thyself. It is quite hard, I think. You can have individuals who perhaps don't realize, and we have this discussion a lot on the, on the search side, how do you tease apart what is the system, the setup, the management, the leadership, the compensation, the culture of an organization that's leading to their success and, and how good is that individual themselves? And it's not necessarily a binary thing, right? It can it, it have to match the individual to the organization. And I think that's really tricky for people, especially if you've had a few really good years they then take the big um, opportunity to go into a, a higher risk, a higher reward organization, potentially, and it all crumbles because perhaps they didn't identify what were the key factors making them good in that organization. And that's a very tricky thing, I think, to piece apart. Yeah, it is. It's just difficult. And, you know, it's why people, um, you know, can avail themselves of your services as an expert in, uh, you know, uh, human capital and, uh, and all, all, all that means and why... You know, people uh, can avail themselves of the energetic services in terms of, you know, how to fit this whole thing together. Um, you know, in both cases, I, I, I think it's money well spent. It, uh, it's this ex ante, you know, getting the problems out of the way ex ante before they occur. Really, um, I think that's worth a lot. Changing tack, how has the skill set of a trader changed, you know, over your tenure? Well, it's just more techie, isn't it? And, uh, you know, there's more numeracy um, really required uh, in the whole thing, less glad handing, um, you know, sales and trading type um, uh, stuff or, or, or sales and marketing sorry, type um, type stuff. So, uh, well, and, and also I think more, more regulation and more bureaucracy to deal with, you know, so clearly uh, less, uh, less um, fast and loose. But I think the big thing for me about technology um, really in the, uh, what it's done for the business is it's, it's enabled there to be a finer grained um, division of labor, you know, which I think uh, in good old Adam Smith's uh, terms is a, is a good thing <laughs> um, and uh, <clears throat> a, a positive um, a value add um, to the process. If you can, uh, you know, rely on systems to do things which, you know, individuals took uh, a long time to do, not only does it uh, reduce costs very significantly, but it enables individuals to then think about uh, doing other things and dividing their skills and dividing labor and specializing. And uh, I think that's very, very important as a, as a value add and a very important effect of, uh, of technology on the, on, on the opportunity set. Although it adds its own complications in the sense that many of those more sort of um, operational type roles that people would do, whatever it might be, you know, from fixing trades to data inputting and so forth, you know, scheduling pipelines, etc. That was part of how an individual understood and built their knowledge about trading itself. And, you know, those trade assistants, desk analysts, operators, schedulers would be the nursery pond for the traders. Um, but if you automate a lot of that, you don't have the same opportunity to learn the business from the ground up. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a great point, uh, Paul. You're one hundred percent correct. I uh, believe um, wholeheartedly in uh, the uh, the model where um, folks have gone through uh, shipping nominations and uh, back office uh, clearing work and uh, ground up grounding, if you like. You know, you get companies now like Vact, for example, who have set up to uh, you know use that blockchain technology to 
automate all of that stuff in 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 one place, which is great, and uh, you know reduces costs. I think very significantly for uh, for players in the in, in the marketplace. But uh, you have that downside that uh, you then don't get the folks having the hands on training that I think. Uh, was ever so important for, for, for people as they progressed uh, in, in their career. So your point is very well taken. And I guess you, will, you know, organizations need to find other ways to, to simulate that, you know, so people can build up their, their expertise. That's not easy. I think, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure, you know, maybe I'm missing something, um, you know, uh, having had a few years uh, um, sort of out of the front line of the business, uh, you know, and, and, and more in the, the um, consultancy side, um, where I don't see evidence really of how that um, piece has been replaced effectively. Which ties back into that lack of talent at that junior to mid-level. You know, I look at natural gas businesses here in the States, you used to have sort of 40 people, 35 supporting five traders or five books. And now you've got one trader and a junior trader. Lots of that sort of those other roles have been outsourced or have uh, been automated, which again, are we going to go through a bit of a, a trading renaissance as markets become more volatile over the next decade? Potentially, it is going to be where, where are we going to get these people from? It's going to be, be a real challenge. And then it comes back to, yeah, as you said, uh, you know, in the last episode, organizations being able to clearly articulate their competitive advantages in how to make the best career for a trader. And that's going to be, this is how we've, we've set up the organization. This is how we protect you from potentially compliance issues, regulatory issues, et cetera. This is how we reward you. But this is also how we're going to develop your career, which might be, uh, it's going to be attractive. I guess a couple of final questions. One for me is, where does that BD kind of origin, business development uh, sort of originator skill set start and trader end if you'd like yes that's part of the misunderstood piece isn't it about what a trader is and what a trader isn't um and i think as we defined it um first time round, we talked about someone who buys and sells at the market interface uh with a specific function uh, purpose in uh, in in mind and that would probably exclude the business developer originator and uh, and um put that uh, that that um, category of individual into a different um bucket really but uh, no less important, of course. You know, I think as the information edge is uh, is eroded by technology over time, it becomes customer flow and the power of flow of business that is the potential competitive advantage that comes potentially with size. Uh, but it also comes with a very strong business development origination business where you have people, you know, going out into the marketplace um, and you know, helping firms who have a risk uh, understand how to prosecute that risk at the market interface. Um, and uh, so even though it's not in the purest sense trading per se, uh, as we've been talking about, it's equally important and it's all part and parcel of the uh, activities of a trading business. We're certainly seeing, I guess, yes, demand on that side as perhaps the, um, but I think as well in the world where trade is perhaps a bit more constricted building up those key anchor clients and partners is, is uh, important to business plans. So I guess final question, what advice would you give to a young trader looking to build their career? What would you be saying to her or him? You know, things have changed as we've, as we've talked about. I mean, when I started out, 
1978 at the British National Oil Corporation, if anyone can remember who they were. <laughs> you know, the folks I worked for were very intelligent, uh, you know, chaps, but uh, also very kind of socially acceptable fellows who, uh, you know, went out to lunch and every now and again bought or sold a cargo of, of oil. And, you know, that was all pre the fast markets and, and, and it's a thing of the past and has to be consigned to the past, really. Um, you know, these days you have to say to people, well, look, get skilled up in data acquisition and data manipulation. Get skilled up and be tech savvy, I think, is, uh, is, is uh, very important. I think, uh, you know, have a good look at what the, uh, the new, um, potentially new markets uh, are likely to be. And I think, uh, you know, most obviously, um, the renewables markets may, uh, may hold some, some, um, some prospect. Um, and the, uh, the path uh, to net zero carbon markets, as I would call them, so LNG, gas, um, holds some, uh, some, uh, some prospect. I think, you know, going back to doing difficult things in difficult places or out guessing the market, um, you know, that, that stuff's all gone. So, you know, these were, as we talked about, a more colorful time in the markets that, uh, you know, were consigned to, uh, consigned to history. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, get to understand and, uh, and 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 major in these things. But you know, going back again to the um, other aspect, the behavioural aspect, um, you know, look at yourself and make sure you're the right type of person that you have the right behavioural characteristics. You know, of humility and integrity and playing by the rules and um, you know uh, uh, hunger um, to succeed and some of the things we talked about. Uh, uh, earlier, um, you know, and if you feel you have these uh, characteristics and that, you know, you can um, acquire some of the, the skills that are needed these days, then, you know, go and, uh, and, and see what's out there on the uh, on, on the frontier. Just to highlight one thing, actually, which is slightly different from that, seems to me to be an interesting opportunity in the more traditional business. I, I remember well in the um, 80s as North Sea Oil developed, it created a milieu and a a movement, if you like, uh, based in London of all these folks coming into trading companies and doing deals with each other in a very exciting time. And that uh, strikes me the same thing as present right now in the U.S. Gulf, to some extent, at least, you know, with uh, all the, um, the Permian and, uh, and, and the uh, um, U.S. production and uh, increasing exports of that and the internationalization of the U.S. cargo market. Um, and... I would have thought there has to be some kind of parallel with the uh, the mid eighties in the North Sea, where you have a an exciting um, opportunity to you know develop something and uh, and be part of something that's uh, of the more traditional business, uh, really, rather than of the, uh, the the new end. So you know there are things at either end, and you'll know about that, of course, being in being yeah, interested. Yeah, I wonder that party might have um, might have <laughs> <laughs> might be near closing time, given some of the uh, stuff. <laughs> going on but um well it's it's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on and and taking some time to actually i think for me as well step back and and think about trading and and the talent that it it requires and it's been phenomenal to get your your insights and um obviously this is what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis for your clients yes that's right you know we like to think that uh, as um folks who are uh, uh involved in the business and building business and uh, doing the business our, ourselves at, uh, at uh, a senior level that we've uh, 
brought to Energex uh, some skills that are um, you know a little differentiated from some of the other folks um, uh, out there in the consultancy space, and uh, you know certainly our early success um, has um, demonstrated that, uh, that there's a need to, there's a need to uh, tap that um, that type of skill. So we're very very pleased about that and, and the, the way things have gone. Uh, it's very kind of you to um, offer me the opportunity to talk to you and uh, I've enjoyed it very much. Not at all. Well, thanks so much for your time. And yeah, look forward to, you know, checking back in in a, in a, in a couple of years and, and see where, where the business is all at on this podcast. But uh, thanks again, Colin. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you for listening to the HC Insider podcast. To find out more about HC, go to hcinsider.global, where there's more news and content focused on the commodities markets.